I'm Kevin Kautzman. I'm here with Brad Kelly. And then uh, our first guest, Michael Backinson. Michael, you're an actor living in New York. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah. You, you didn't move since we last spoke, right? No, I haven't. Same place for uh, 15 years in October. Wow. Wow. All right. You're a New I, Yorker. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I first well, was here in 96, which is insane. It's been 25 years. Gracious. Uh, well, and of course, this episode is going to be about Oscar Wilde. We're going to recap that. Uh, how long? How long in New York? Twenty six years. Twenty. It'll be twenty five in August. Wow. Yeah. How do you yeah. feel about New York I mean, City? Off right and now? on, you know. The, yeah. The theater took me all over the country a bunch for a long time, and I also went away to graduate school for a couple of years in San Diego. But, uh, but yeah, I first moved to the city twenty five years ago. Well, and what do you what do you think uh, Oscar Wilde would make of New York City now, if we were to uh, teleport him back from from London during his heyday? <laughs> I mean, now during COVID, or now like in the twenty first century generally? Right now during COVID, I, you know, I don't. I, you know, he's always known for his quips and you know all of his. Uh, erudition and intelligence, but I think he was also extremely sensitive. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, I, I think he'd be somewhat kind of heartbroken. And, um, and I, I, he was very social. So the, the fact that uh, there's no theater going on, no live events, no gatherings, stuff like that, I think that that would have been torturous. And he probably would have continued to be living a double life and uh, finding his way to underground places. Do you think he would have moved to, to Miami? With people. I feel like he'd be in Miami right now. <laughs> he might be. That's maybe. <laughs> that's where the party's at. Getting so. some DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, well, and Michael, you have some standing on this front, right? As an actor, that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on. In addition to just being a swell guy, uh, <laughs> you've you've actually done some I have of these a big biography of him on my shelf there somewhere. Oh, that's yeah. I I did a production of it, of Lady Windermere's fan at Center Stage Baltimore in 2004. And I played uh, Lord Windermere in that play. Um, so yeah, we like, and it was, it was back when they actually could hire dramaturgs and they paid you well and you had like a seven week rehearsal process like before all the budgets got slashed. So we actually got kind of deep into the table work before we even went into blocking the show or anything. So, uh, well, and what, what is uh, Lady Windermere's fan, for those who don't know, what's it about? So that's uh, one of his first hits. Um, and it's about uh, a woman who kind of appears, um, it, I forget exactly how he frames it, but she, this woman kind of appears out of nowhere and she's kind of has a checkered past, it seems, but she's trying to, to pass in, in higher circles and um, she appears to have some secret and everybody's speculating about what it is. Like, you know, she has something over Lord Windermere. Her, I believe her name is uh, Miss Erlen. Um, and I guess, spoiler alert, it turns out that, uh, turns out that she actually is the mother that gave up the child that he's now married to, his wife. So that's, oh. the, that's the secret that she has. Um, 
And uh, there's a lot of parlor scenes. You know, there's a lot of, you know, there's this mistaken identity of everybody thinking that she's having an affair with Lord Windermere and that's what it is. But and of um, course, playing around with status and, and perception. Sure. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's one I'm not familiar with. I don't think I ever got around to reading that one. So that's. I think it's got the great line in it, in it of uh, we're all of us in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. We did talk about that on simple. Is that, is that from, I think that might be from it too, but maybe it's from, um, from Ernest. I'm not sure. Which Truth one? Truth is rarely pure and never simple. Yeah. Somebody comes in and says, <laughs> that's the truth. Truth is rarely plain or never simple. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and what uh, role did you play in that? So I was uh, Lord Windermere. Um, oh, okay. And uh, there was a young actress who just come out of Juilliard named Mahira Kakar, uh, who is uh, Lady Windermere, um, an Indian-American actress. I think she was born in India, though. She lives up here in La Heights now still. And amazing uh, production. My wife thought it was like one of the most boring things that ever, she'd ever seen. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool. And they had, like, they had like these dancing butlers that would do the scene changes. And she'd hired this hearing impaired um, actor from, or dancer from, from uh, DC to choreograph these unbelievable uh, scene changes. And he would, like one, he did like a backwards backflip down the right stage while he was nice. like tossing chairs. Nice, very cool, yeah, yeah. Well, and so what's it like to, to actually perform the work? We can all talk about it. There's a very good production of Lady Windermere's Fan that was recorded, you can find it on YouTube. I can't recall the, uh, the theater, but it's, it was, it's an English theater. You can find it. If you look up Lady Windermere's fan production, yeah. you'll find it. And I thought it was really entertaining. Normally, theater, when it's recorded, is dreadful that way, yeah. unless you know, there's some context, right? But this, they did a fine job. I mean, it's not a film. You can't go into it going, oh, this is going to be like watching Inception or something. It's, <laughs> it's a different vibe. But I really enjoyed it because it, it came across, and it's fun, and it's a very dear play. It's very sweet, and you can see why it yeah. was a hit. Uh, yeah. because it attacks their mores, the Victorian mores, um, the values mm -hmm. and everything, but it's, it has a very dear soul. It's not bitter. It's not mean. Um, so yeah. yeah. How was it to do? I mean, I really enjoyed it. It was, it, there were, I remember the scenes. I particularly liked the scenes with, uh, Mrs. Erlen or Miss, Miss Erlen. Um, it was kind of, there was, it kind of felt like, um, you know, I, I, what's, a, what's a good example? It's sort of like, a, you know, fencing or something where you're, you're coming in <laughs> yeah. and coming back and coming in. and right. um, The ball's was, always was, in the air and everybody's trying to top each other in terms of the, yeah. the better joke or the better comment. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that scene, I, I just remember that scene as being really intense. And then the scenes with all the men hanging out were very fun. You know, right. <laughs> all these kind of snide comments and double entendres and whatnot. Sure. And, and then everybody understanding as soon as a woman comes into the room, all of the code switches and yeah. you completely <laughs> have to change how you behave well, and what you're saying. And everyone in the audience recognizes it. And then there are these in wild and I can't name one specifically. I can't perform one uh, uh, or quote it, but 
there are often these moments where, where a gender joke will be made and the laughter in the audience is going to come from how uncomfortable it is because everybody's mm. there with their spouse or their right. partner or whatnot. Right. And so it's one side of the audience sort of against the other side and it's this weird social game we all play. And yeah, the humor comes from the levity well, of that. Yeah, and that's a classic sort of stand-up comedy move now too, mm-hmm. right? To, to sort of set that tension up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all do it. Yeah, for sure. What is... What is uh, me being the uh, least associated with the theater person in the room here. What is Oscar Wilde's sort of standing in that community now? I mean, is he sort is he forgotten? Is he, you know, very high, really very high canonical. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a staple at any major regional theater. Every couple of years they're going to do Ernest probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's the one that, that gets done. Yeah. And it keeps yeah. getting done off Broadway, on Broadway, at Lincoln Center, like all the time. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it, it, it's especially amazing in the context of his life. And we, again, if you go back, if you've not listened to our episode, I'm a little biased because it was one of mine, right? But <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you go back and listen to it, it was an early episode we did and just so much fun to unpack. And I, I learned all sorts of stuff about him and his religious sentiment and mm-hmm. um, De Profundis or that great letter and the tragedy of his life and how he's, he would have just loved the Graham. He'd fit right yeah. in right now. We yeah. really live yeah. in an Oscar Wildean age. Yeah. yeah. Whether you like it or not. Well, his brevity yeah, those and his bone, wit. Those and bone his... motes were definitely, yeah. he would have been able to, to capitalize on that. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. There's, do you, do you know the novelist Colm Toybin? Sure. Yeah, the name. Yeah. yeah, he has a wonderful book about a bunch of literary giants in the English language and sort of their fraught relationships with their fathers. Mm. And that's he's one of the people that he profiles in that. I mean, sort of like a chapter for each writer. So he does like Yeats, and he does mm. uh, he does uh, Wild as well. I forget all the details. I read it a couple of years ago. I don't know why I don't remember all the details so well. Yeah, well, his father mm-hmm. was a doctor. Is that right, Kevin? Yeah, I think he w- he was an ear doctor. Something like mm-hmm. that. He was yeah. quite a high high status fellow. I think that his father was a bit of a rake as well, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to look it up because I don't want to mislead anyone. But I, uh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like he. Been, a lot of them had fathers that were very kind of ambitious but couldn't but didn't have the follow-through it was like this common trait with it same with joyce's hmm. father hmm, like they were they were kind of um blustery and domineering but ended up you know kind of squandering the, the family's fortune uh. <laughs> huh. well he was an ear and eye doctor and he had uh his father and his his father is responsible i think for one of the libraries uh in <laughs> in Dublin or he, or or maybe it might've been the first year in like hospital, one of these first hospitals. He, he was knighted if I'm not mistaken. So he wasn't, yeah, I think he was a philanthropist, but his, but his father, it says right here, uh, in addition to his children and his wife, Sir William Wilde was the father of three children born out of wedlock before his marriage. Yeah. So yeah. And yet still knighted. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So an unusual figure, uh, but yeah. not not spanning history quite to the degree that Wilde did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes you wonder, you know, what his father's sort of perception of young Oscar's career would have been. It's, you mm. know, because any 
I, I imagine almost any parent when their child is is going to go into the arts. And Oscar was an intelligent guy, right? I mean, he's you know he's intensely stuck, intelligent, right? Right. So then he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to write plays. There must have been a moment of, ah, shoot, really? Like, you don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a professor. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, he, I, he was encouraged I, yeah. by his mom quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, was he? Okay. His mom doted on him and, and also was very into the arts. So she, okay. you know, he, um, but he, one of the things that they talked about in the book was that he was one of these people that, if you could believe it, if it's not apocryphal, he could pick up a, a book and read both sides of the book at the same time and just take it like a couple of seconds per page, yeah, yeah. put it down, and people would quiz him on what he'd read. Oh, that's amazing. Like, it's just like yeah. bionic reading ability. It's yeah. utterly insane. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was. He had Greek, he had Latin. He was one of these classically trained scholars. He won the top prize at Trinity for, I think, Greek and or, you know, and then ended up at Oxford on a on a scholarship. I mean, that's no, no lightweight, but fun because he, he didn't end up becoming an academic, which I sort of love. It's like somebody mm-hmm. having all of those chops and he could have just become a lecturer and coasted on that. But instead he became a, like the first rock and roller. Yeah. yeah and he, he wasn't writing like uh, obscurantist, like there's definitely depth there, but I mean, it was sort of pop for the time. Right. I mean, I think he. I think he is one of the very first pop culture figures. I think that yeah. you don't get Warhol, you don't get uh, Bowie, you don't get any of these characters unless you go through Wild. Yeah, and his relationship with the press at the time in in England right. and all of it. Right. His big American tour. I mean, in a funny way, it's like the Beatles. He conquered yeah. America, came yeah. back, and and then he was bigger than bigger than Jesus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was interesting. A, a young superstar people i mean there were there were uh cartoons that had been done about him caricatures when he was barely out of oxford Oxford. right (laughs) yeah i mean and he the the reason he toured america was to prime uh, american audiences for the gilbert and sullivan production that was based on his lifestyle oh right which was mocking his lifestyle right (laughs) yeah but but lovingly and look this is this he was an influencer yeah for sure. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing new under the sun here. No. I have no. nothing to declare but my genius. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally him at the passport line. Yeah. Yep. Incredible. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. What a hoot. Well, and so it's fun to do, Michael. So there's a lot happening. And how did the audiences respond when you did it? You know, they were into it with the exception of my future wife. Um, <laughs> Your then future wife. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, she, uh, she probably felt that it gave you too much insight into the nature of the relationship. <laughs> she probably... <laughs> she, I, you know, she, she can be, I think she felt that it was, you know, there was a time I feel like in the nineties where there was always this kind of layering on top of classic plays. And I think it, it would pull things away from the actual meat of the plot. And I think she felt oh. that the scenes just weren't cooking. Sure. It's, it's Hamlet in space. Exactly. Right. Sort of exactly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the, and the, and the director was definitely kind of an auteur type, like she had run that theater for 20 years or so. And like, she had her own way of doing things. So I thought that that was cool. I thought it was, you know, this interesting style and a sort of, artistic interpretation of it but um um yeah i I thought some of the audiences really dug it and it was interesting that you know in baltimore that city is is 
you know, very multicultural. And that institution at the time had an incredibly integrated audience. And um, the artistic director, director of the play said that Wilde sold better um, among the African-American clientele than almost any other show that would put up, except, you know, except for, I don't know, August Wilson or something. Yeah, Fences or something. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. But, but like, and I was like, really? And she, she said, yeah, no, we do these, you know, we do. But I mean, everybody loves a comedy and Mm -hmm. there, there is a certain, it's tough to get a comedy through now in the American theater, isn't it? Like a new comedy. It's almost like, yeah. No, weird. Like what? Yeah, no, it's so that's I'm not interesting. One hundred twenty dollars to laugh for two hours. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah I want to suffer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> want to be. Yeah, bro- give me my broccoli. Broccoli theater. Yeah. yeah. Well, but he, that's interesting. I wonder why that is. Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Hmm. Fun. Well, so I mean, you would do it again if you had a chance, right? Uh, if somebody oh, sure. came to you and said, "Yeah." Yeah, no, I think it's interesting stuff. And I, I mean, I think he's, he's brilliant. Um, yeah. And it's not just superficial. I mean, what you're getting at with his kind of emotional underpinnings and sweetness and also religiosity. I mean, he, he, he was kind of functioning on a lot of different levels there. Yeah. Right. I mean, each scene has these, again, layers. So you can <laughs> play it different ways. And then on a different one night, it's going to feel this way. And another night, it's going to surprise you another way. Yeah, the wit that's that's there drops out periodically and becomes extraordinarily poignant, and it's the contrast that I think is where that drama lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There's a lot for the audience to do, which of course is what people want. They, ironically, they pay 120 dollars to go to work for the evening, but they're working at <laughs> they're working a different part of their brain. It's like this luxury to sit and watch this chess game play out and to get ahead of it or not. And yeah, I love drama for that. I love theater for when it, when it's good. I wanted to bring up, cause when you mentioned wild, when I was 16, I went to Germany. Uh, I had like, it was a, a, an exchange student thing. A, a, a German boy had come and stayed with us for a couple of weeks. And I went and stayed with him in Frankfurt. And then my mom planned a trip that she was going to go to, uh, to England and, and Ireland. And I met her in Ireland after uh, this German exchange. And uh, we saw the opening night of a production of Lady Windermere's Fan. And the Lord Mayor of Dublin was there in this weird necklace that had like- <laughs> Sure, right. Wares that were attached. And, yeah. and that was, they had cast many of the women's roles as, as men. Uh, except for Mrs. Erlen. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget, there's an Australian character there that's just sort of the butt of everybody's joke. It's like, ah, the Australian guy. Um, <laughs> but in this one, they took it a step further. Cause the guy's name is Mr. Hopper. And they literally had him bouncing around like a kangaroo. <laughs> hanging out on top of the furniture. I love stuff like that. It when it works, it's amazing. Yeah. And I remember it was kind of like in a basement, the, the theater. And, uh, you know, it was not avant-garde space when Dublin was just kind of turning the corner in the uh, mid to late, mid nineties. Um, oh no, it wouldn't have been, it was early nineties, it was 91. I remember being in that thing and all the men were, were smoking cigars and the whole theater just kind of filled with cigar smoke. Wow, yeah. Very intense. Mid nineties uh, British Irish theater does yeah. not get I, much better. Very uh, faithful in Three Penny Opera at the, uh, uh, what was that? Not the gate. Anyway, one of those made, you know, sort of 
iconic Dublin theaters. And I did not get Brecht. That's a whole other show. <laughs> oh, we have to we have to do Brecht at some point. <laughs> oh, I love the Three Pretty Opera. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know if it was that production or like Verfremdung's effect. Like, really, I've seen some <laughs> really <laughs> terrible Brecht. I mean, it's like Chekhov too, right? If if the, if there's no humor, it's dead. It's dead. Right. And I, it could be the most turgid, difficult play. It's if, it, if you don't get a laugh in the first ten minutes, it's it's I don't know what we're doing. It's sure. gotta create some tension. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, that's fun. Yeah, we have to. That reminds me, we have to do a Brecht episode. We have to do a Brecht uh, episode. This is also a, a man who had his uh, little aphorisms. Uh, theater without beer is a museum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Cheers to that. Uh, well, fantastic. Well, Michael, uh, this is good. I appreciate you coming on. What? Uh, mm-hmm. Where can people find you? What do you have going on these days? I know you. You just had a a pilot that got into some festivals and things. Tell us what you have going on. Yeah, I shot a pilot uh, right before the whole shutdown happened. That um, it's like a, a twelve minute thing, but they they got a, a awesome uh, director for it uh, named Sam Cadman, who's from London. Uh, he put it together. It's, it, the concept is that I've uh, my wife is cheating on me. She's left me. I lose my job and everything. I end up living on my fa- deceased father's boat in a uh, marina in the Bronx. Oh, and it's called okay. Man Overboard. So it's about these people that the whole series would be about that community and also about me sort of trying to piece my life back together. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they put together just this fantastic 12 minute kind of teaser that has been making the festival rounds and winning. Like it's, it's killing me because <laughs> here I am the lead in a potential series and it's been all going on during COVID. So I've been winning all these festivals and they're all virtual. Oh, <laughs> like, that's a bummer. Yeah. No, no, no schmoozing. Right. No right. You're in, anything. you could be in LA. Yeah. Yeah. But nope. then, like, they put the poster up and it's got like Laurel, 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 Laurel. It's been oh. really sweeping um, these festival circuits. Yeah, I keep winning seeing that. Yeah, and it's man two ends, man overboard. Yeah, because the guy's name is, is Doug Mann, M-A-N-N. Mm. Gotcha. Uh, All right. Yeah. That's, an yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's happening. Good. We put out uh, uh, that Polaroid stories at Lehman Stages, which is still up. My wife and I directed that. That was supposed to go up on March 17th of last year, uh, but we ended up putting it up this year, same time. Um, so that's I don't, up on I, don't I don't know about that, Michael. Tell us tell us a little bit about that. So Naomi Azuka is a um, playwright uh, who's the head of playwriting at UC San Diego. Um, now she did. Um, she was commissioned actually by a place in Minnesota. I think it was Playwrights Lab. Playwrights um, to do a new play. Yeah, Playwrights Center. Sorry, um, and that was in again mid nineties. She decided that she was going to go around and do interviews of homeless youth in Minneapolis. Um, so she spent some time kind of on the streets there talking to people. And she was, had been a classics major in undergrad at Yale. And she decided to sort of merge their stories with stories from Ovid's Metamorphosis. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. What emerges is this interesting show about like street life, with like really raw language, but with the storylines of Ovid's Metamorphosis and the relationships of that. Huh. And it's a totally non-linear play. Like uh, things that are happening in the beginning are kind of from the end. It's all chopped up in these little scenes. Huh. And very poetic, very, yeah. Well, that sounds, that sounds amazing. Yeah. 
I met uh, Naomi uh, for, I nearly went to grad school in San Diego. And if I had gone, Brad, you and I probably never would have met. Oh, no. Well, so, uh, there you go. Small world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. You met at Austin? Did you see no, Austin? Yeah. Yeah. We met at Austin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So can people find that online, Polaroid Stories? Yeah. I think probably the best way to navigate to it is to go to the Lehman Theater and Dance YouTube page. Um, L-E-H-M-A-N? L-E-H-M-A-N. That's a CUNY university that's kind of a liberal arts college uh, in the Bronx in New York. Um, and a guy named Rick DeRochere took over the program a couple of years ago and has really been building it up. They're doing great work there. They're doing they have kind of some associations with Stephen Adley Gurkis and they have a professional theater company there called Lehman Stages, but the students are great. And yeah, you can find that uh, online um, by navigating to the, the YouTube page for Lehman Theater and Dance. Cool. Yeah, got it. Cool. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. I'll put it in the show notes. Michael, where can people find you? So you can find me um, for now. My Instagram is back in town. Nice. <laughs> Yay, K-K-E-N-T-O-W-N. Um, I, I got a lot of audio books up on Amazon, Apple, whatnot, uh, that I narrate for people. Um, I have a couple of albums of original songs I put out that you can find anywhere that's streaming, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon. And I have a third album that's done. I'm just trying to figure out when to release it because <laughs> no one's begging for it right now. Mm. So we're finishing up the graphic design and I'm going to be doing some promotion for that and releasing yeah. a third album. Talk about your, your, your singing, uh, singing uh, songwriting. Talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, Tamil has a good quote. Tamil's my wife. has a good quote from Kristen Linklater, who's a famous voice teacher is that you sing when words when you sort of run out of the, the ability of words to express the emotions. So for years, I loved I don't know, writing stories, writing poems, whatnot, but that w literary world of like poetry readings and also submitting to get your chapbook made and do, I just couldn't do it. I, I could not stomach that. So Awful, <laughs> horrible rejection. <laughs> 50 no's for one yes, and then you get your yes. And then you made. get like a $5... Right, right, right. Sure. Um, so, uh, I, I, with the encouragement of Tamela, she was like, you know, you should learn to play guitar and like see if you can turn your poetry into songs. And I was like, okay. So that's kind of what I've been doing for the last mm, 17 years. And felt that I was good enough about five years ago to actually record some of them and put them out. So that was... That's, that's awesome. That's what it is. So it's sort of singer-songwriter-y stuff folk rock and increasingly much to my surprise i've been getting into country <laughs> nice <laughs> not like modern slick country but like the, the where that merges with blues americana folk i i feel like everybody has in middle age goes there i i <laughs> like everybody i know sort of listens to a little country now i you know it, for yeah. whatever reason yeah that's cool yeah. that's awesome <laughs> me with Steve Earle. I was doing a show with the yeah. guy that gave me a, a, a burned copy of a, a Steve Earle CD and I just went, whoa, this shit's yeah. amazing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that kind of opened up a lot of a lot of avenues. Michael, you got to listen to the episode that Brad did about Junior Kimbrough, if you haven't heard that one yet. One of our episodes. No, no. Yeah. Junior Kimbrough was this character, Brad briefly 
Yeah, so yeah. is a uh, um, uh, Mississippi uh, hill country blues musician. It's kind of obscure, but but uh, was the big ins- a big inspiration behind the Black Keys. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, so they actually did a tribute album to him after a little while after his death. And yeah, we sort of just dug into his life. He's this sort of, uh, you know, dreamy guitar virtuoso just living out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and he sort of made a resurgence sort of right around the time of his death kind of became known, but fascinating, amazing music and totally self-taught, you know, so all, all that very raw kind of um, Yeah, um, and, on, and on the dark side, he had what? 32 kids 32 kids by different people <laughs> well yeah so the man yeah. could the man could play the blues yeah yeah exactly so yeah well michael uh, thanks for coming on this is again our first uh, attempt at an interview uh for art of darkness you can find us at artofdarkpod.com. this is going to be a public episode uh we also have a patreon it's at patreon uh, slash art of dark pod michael we like to sort of leave uh, every episode with a question and the question is Concerning the subject, right? So we met to talk about Oscar Wilde. If if Oscar <laughs> Wilde was alive today, what do you think he would be doing? We already went over it a little bit, but I want to leave it again with it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, he would he would definitely be some massive public figure. Um, what would he be creating? I mean, would he would he be? Gosh, I mean, he would. He would, he would in the way that Gore Vidal exists, continued to exist as sort of like a public, you know, some just a go-to on just any the guy. talk show. You have him interview. Yeah, the guy yeah. you knew, that you wanted to hear what they thought about that. While yeah, he comes on, he comes on Jimmy Fallon four times right. a year or something. Exactly. I could see that. Yeah. I could see him as a stand-up comic. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he would be, well, like an Eddie Izzard or. Right. Or something. Right. Someone who maybe gives a little more structure to their shows, but is still loose enough that you want them on the the talk mm-hmm. show at the end of the day. And yeah. absolutely, absolutely, and crushing it on Twitter, yeah. Kanye <laughs> level Twitter. <laughs> you, oh, my, there's a new tweet from from Austin. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> he, he's designed for Twitter. I mean, hell, the the shorter his sentences, the better they were. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Michael, thanks so much for coming on, and I hope you'll come on another episode when we have things that sort of are pertinent to theater and the actor's perspective and all that. Yeah. We may ask you, you on again. And you bet. All right. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Again, brother. All right. Thanks again. Have a good weekend. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Yeah. Take care.